Welcome to Lo-Fi Lectionary. Hey everyone, and welcome to Lo-Fi Lectionary, the kitchen episode for Luke 12. So if you're new to kitchen episodes, this is kind of uh, in... in uh, in the regular episodes. I wasn't very successful this week. I try and not color the story too much with like my own personal thoughts and interpretations of the story or what to do with the story or what the story means for us today. Um, I saved that for these kitchen episodes. So they're a little bit more intimate. Uh, you know, if you've, if, if, if uh, you don't listen to the episode, it's like you're outside my house. If you listen to a regular episode, it's like we're sitting down in the living room, studying the story together if you're sticking around for the bonus conversation, it's like we've moved into the kitchen and maybe we're washing some glasses or something like that and and we're chatting about the story. So Luke 12, ah, you may leave here for four days in space, but when you return, it's the same old place. The pounding of the drums, the pride and disgrace. You can bury your dead, but don't leave a trace. Hate your next door neighbor, but don't forget to say grace. So Luke 12 is a really challenging chapter. Um, and Jesus really goes against, um, and teaches a lot about greed and about power. And I think that Jesus is a really interesting person to hear them talk about power. If the story of Luke is, well, whether it's, whether you believe it's true or not in the story of Luke, Jesus is the son of God. Like, you know, from the beginning, it's this idea that Jesus is like born of God and a person. And so he's like a human person, but he's also God. Like, and he's, he's the son of God himself. He, he calls himself, you know, the, the, the Lord and stuff like that. He forgives sins like God. He, um, you know, so, and, um, he's, he's empowered by the Holy spirit. So it's like, it's like he's, he's, he's God in a number of different ways. And to hear God talk about the nature of power and greed is really interesting because in the context of the story, we, we have God having chosen to become vulnerable. We have God having chosen to give up all of his power to become a human being and walk around and live a human life in all that that brings and to live it also in such a way that he is loving his enemies and being gentle towards people and helping out people in need and being generous and giving all that he has and not taking for him. It's a story of God being incredibly vulnerable and giving up all of his power. And in fact, as you read the story, and as I've thought about the Jesus story for now 34 years, um, I find it fascinating that Jesus has the greatest claim to power of anyone ever in any story. I mean, if, if the Luke story is true, then I mean, Jesus is God. And so all power in the world is his. Like this is the God who made the entire universe with just words and stuff like that. And yet all throughout the story, Jesus seems to be the least interested in power, the least interested in having it, the least interested in gaining it or in using it over people. And he also seems the least interested in the people that have it. And that's just interesting because so much of our lives is centered around power. I'm going to sneeze. 
is centered around power and how can we get it and how can we keep ourselves safe from people that do have it that might use it poorly and how can we keep ourselves safe or how can we get more of what we want or how can it's 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 all just a massive power struggle i mean you can actually read the history of humanity as struggles for power you know and here's god who can have whatever he wants whatever god wants whatever she wants and he just doesn't pick it up. I mean, there's the story at the beginning of Luke where, you know, uh, Jesus like contends with Satan in the desert and he's tempted by power three times. I mean, they're all things of, of power. And he says, no, 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 he doesn't want it. And that's just fascinating to me because, I mean, I don't know if you play the game of like, okay, what would I do if I won the lottery? And I finally then had the wealth and the resources to get what, anything I wanted, you know what I mean? And it's almost like often we play a different version of the lottery, not necessarily with money, but just with power. Like if I ruled the world, if I was president, if I could get the person that I'm in a relationship with to do this or this or this, what would I, what would I do? Like if I just had my way, um, and Jesus doesn't seem to really play that game at all. He's kind of disinterested, you know? Um, and because he's disinterested in it, then it's what leaves him constantly vulnerable. And he invites people to follow him and be part of this movement. But in doing so, he leaves himself vulnerable, but he's also leading a movement of vulnerable people. Like he's leading a movement of potential victims in the same way that in coming and being born and leading the life that he led and saying the things he did and doing the things he did, he presented himself as a potential victim that he could be harmed and hurt and controlled and subjected by people who have power in the world. And he went along for it to do what he did and invites other people to do so as well. Like, I don't know if I could handle that kind of power if I would give it up because there's so many things that I want and so many things that I wish I could change about the world and so many things that if I was given the authority, I would instantly sign into law and then use power to make happen and to enforce. And Jesus doesn't want any of that. That's what an interesting character to come onto the scene. I mean, all throughout the book of Luke, Jesus is being contrasted to the elites of his day and in their community, but also, I mean, when Jesus calls himself the son of God, he's saying that I am the son of God. The emperor is not the son of God. Like, that's not just a religious term strictly in the way that we often think about it today. That's a political term. Like, the emperors were the sons of God. So if people said, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? They weren't at the time that this book was written asking you necessarily if you believed that God was Jesus incarnate and one of the members of the Trinity, you know what I mean, or anything like that. They were asking you, do you believe that Jesus is the emperor and not the person that we all worship as emperor, the person whose face we put on things and who signs laws into existence and who enforces it with an army? Are you saying Jesus is the son of God? And if you said yes, it meant that you believed in a son of God who's, who is a very different kind of king, of emperor, and probably even for a lot of us, a very different kind of God. 
than the one that we've been told is God, or maybe even the kind of God that we carry around in our brain. Like whatever God you have in your brain, whatever you think God is, when I say God, whatever image comes up in your brain, I mean, that's a heresy. I mean, no matter how many times you've, you've read the Bible and studied theology, whatever you have isn't God. It cannot be, you know, if at least from, from a Christian standpoint, God is so far beyond us that anything we believe about God is always just a little bit off, you know? Um, and uh, one of the things that challenges my image of God is just how vulnerable Jesus is and how disinterested he is in power. Um, yeah, I sit with that often. And then in the story, we find no other sin being spoken of as being potentially dangerous or as serious as this misuse of power, as this love of power, or as, or as greed. Like, like, I mean, Jesus brings greed into the story. He criticizes the Pharisees, your greed and your wickedness, you know, and he, he tells the, the parable about the guy with the, with the barns and it's all about his greed. And that's, what's caused his downfall. And no other sin, at least that I've noticed in the teaching of Jesus seems to be one that he's, he's most concerned about for the people he's talking with than power and greed. We brought this up a little bit in the long episode, but I think it's very telling that Jesus nowhere else seems to talk about a different kind of vice or kind of sin or temptation or something like that as being kind of on the same level as greed and as power. Um, I mean, I don't want to argue from silence because maybe there are sins that Jesus would think today if we talk to him are just as bad or something like that, but he just didn't get quoted in that in the book of Luke or in the other gospels or something like that. But as I read all four of the gospels, there's almost nothing that Jesus seems to, to draw such a hard line in the sand about. There's nothing that Jesus seems to, to talk in such stark and dangerous terms about as greed. There's a story um, that Jesus tells in another part where he says, and I think we're actually going to get to it later in Luke, where he says, no one can serve two masters. You have to love God or love wealth. You have to choose which one your life is about. And I find that interesting that there's nothing else that Jesus ever lays it out that clear about. Like, it's not like he said, oh my gosh, you people are all dirty and gross and icky. And you know what? Like, some of the things you guys do behind closed doors with other people is 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 so bad that you guys, you have to choose which master, God or sex, you know? Um, it's, and, and yet we become so obsessed with sins like sex, Um and, 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 and maybe in some ways rightfully so, because sex can be very damaging to people if misused in the wrong way and, and stuff like that. But at least in the teachings that we get from Jesus, there's not, he doesn't seem to be nearly as concerned about that. He doesn't seem to, to worry so much that we could be potentially as deeply corrupted by any other sin than, than greed. And that could drive us so far off course as to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, to call what is good evil, and to call what is evil good. There's only one, 
like thing that we could treasure so much in this part of the story. I mean, that we could treasure it so much that it would be a rival to God and a rival to what's good in the world as greed or love of power or something like that. Um, whew, I mean, man, that's, that's a tough, tough lesson to learn. I mean, I mean, you could always just say, well, that's not true. There are things much worse than greed or power or something like that. And, and, and if you were in my kitchen, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. But at least in the story of Luke, um, there's nothing else that's, that's presented as being so potentially dangerous. Um, and then kind of right to the story, there's nothing that Jesus seems to think will cause such an effect on his audience and will cause such a reaction from his opponents as his teachings then about greed and about power. It's not like he came to earth and said, oh, you know, you guys, um, yeah, I need to teach you guys about, geez, I'm trying to pull something out of my head that's a good analogy, you know, like like lying, you know, or something like that, and, and that's a sin and that's bad. And man, when, when I get up here and tell you guys that lying is bad, that's, that's some of you guys are gonna wanna kill me. You know what I mean? Um, but when Jesus gets up and talks about misuse of power and he criticizes the elites and the privileged and he criticizes people who love money or who would keep all their crops for themselves, that's the point when Jesus is like, this is going to get bad. There's going to be a backlash. If you follow me on this, it's going to get you in trouble too. It's not just me. It's going to be for you. And he promises people his followers at this point, that it's going to get them in trouble. I mean, he, he might think he says to his students, you know, the, they, they might leave you alone so long as we're talking about vices or so long as we only have a positive message if we just talk about love and good feelings and stuff like that. But guys, when we start challenging their wealth and start challenging their power, they're going to bring you into court. And when that happens, I'm going to ask you guys not to be afraid because I will be with you. The Holy Spirit will be with you. So I wonder why, like, what is it about money and what is it about power and stuff like that? Like, can a love of those things really drive us so far off of the path we're on that we would actually blaspheme against the Spirit? I mean, if you're non-religious, I, 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 would, I would be curious to hear what you would hearing this story would put in place of, of the spirit? Like what's, what's the blaspheme of the spirit for you or us today? What's the language we could use to talk about maybe the same kind of thing, um, but in a non-religious context? Um, I mean, if, I mean, the Holy Spirit in the book of Luke is the, the active like force and embodiment of God as it's, as God is working to like save the world, to restore all things, to teach people right from wrong, to love and to care and be generous. It's a movement towards, as Jesus says in the last chapter, of justice and love. And so maybe, I, what if we put those terms to it? Like, can a love of power and money affect us so deeply that it, we move against the movements towards justice and love and goodness in the world? Like, first of all, I guess we'd have to talk about do you believe that the world is, is getting better? Like, is there an, a long arc of justice, as it's been said? 
You know, like, are we, are, are we learning to love each other better? Are we learning to care for each other better? Are our societies becoming more and more just and aware? And if so, if there's, if there's like a movement through human history to make things good and better and to improve things and care for things and learn to love each other and care for creation, can, is it is it a love of power and money that can really drive us off of that in a way that nothing else can? Can it drive us to the point, can it affect our hearts and our minds and our behaviors so deeply that if we decide that love and that, that love of power or money is more important, that we will actually look at the movement towards justice and goodness in the world, and we would call that evil instead of calling it good. Like not just being sidelined from the movement of love and justice, but to look at all of that and say, that's wrong, we should do something else. Do you think so? How do we see that happening with ourselves? What tempts you towards a love of power and a want of greed and selfishness that could drive you far off of the good movement of the cosmos towards goodness that would lead you to actually actively resist and move against what's good for other people in the world. Do we see that in ourselves? And do we see that in our families, in our culture, in our country, in our world? This, this teaching for, of, of Jesus is, is fundamental about how we approach our lives, like what are our lives for? Is it about caring for others with what we have? Or is it about caring for ourselves? And if we have more, it's perfectly fine for us to build bigger and bigger barns to keep it. And other people are just on their own. I worry when I think about this, and I'm not a super political thinker, and I'm certainly not a super economic thinker, but being a, a citizen of America, you know, like we have a capitalist style, like economic and political structure to our lives. It's a system of how our, we see our, all of our lives and how it, how it works and how we interact with each other. And it's kind of all built on a des- our, what our desires are. You know, it's a market-based, you know, kind of thing. And I worry that if our desires are not to be part of a good movement in the world for justice, and for caring for others, and for restoring things. But if we can be susceptible to having our primary desires be for power and wealth, then that's a very dangerous way for us to organize our lives in the first place. I mean, I guess it could potentially be used for a lot of good, so long as our desires are for something good. But if our desires are for having and getting more and more power and wealth from each other, that's a very dark road for us to go down. And I wonder if in some ways we're seeing the evidence that that's a very corrupting thing for all of us. And it's going to take us off of a path of justice and love. And I'm not advocating for a political philosophy here. I'm just using that as an example of seeing how we order ourselves. I mean, certainly there are very vivid examples from recent history of non-capitalistic societies that are also go end up bent towards destruction 
because of their love for greed and power over each other instead of a love for let's be a community that cares for each other. But if if you do the, if you follow the way of Jesus religiously, or if you follow the way of Jesus but in a non kind of religious way, but you just think he's a good ethical teacher, he's presenting a very different way for us to order ourselves and to see what our lives are supposed to be all about. And this way of Jesus teaches us from the beginning that it's not for your benefit in the first place. Our lives, in a sense, are not about what we can get out of it. We instead are called to be vulnerable and generous and giving. And if our lives are foundationally, one of the first things we acknowledge is that our lives are not for ourselves. Selfishness is not the way that we see the world. That could be the starting for something very different that we could bring to each other and bring to the world. And I, the, the, the reason I think I continue to follow Jesus is that I, I think that he's right on that. Because if we can begin with that, then we can look at what else is going on in the world that is a movement towards better things, towards better and more love for each other, towards better justice, towards better wholeness, towards better goodness, towards better ways of organizing ourselves in which more and more needs of more and more people are being met. And I do think at least at this point, that it kind of has to start with us all being like, the first thing we have to buy into is this idea that it's not about what we desire for ourselves. We need a better desire. We need to desire something good for everybody so that we don't end up blaspheming against love and justice or God, if you're religious and believe that God is real. I mean, I'm recording this episode in case you're listening to it way in the future. I mean, this episode is was researched and recorded in the midst of what happened in Charlottesville. And I'm not going to talk too much about that because I'm so worried about saying something wrong because it's it's such an important thing. Like I was in tears over the weekend just following the news. But to watch how powerful people on both sides have responded to it and to watch and think about where the different two movements that kind of came to a clash in the middle of Charlottesville, um, I think power and the love of it and the want of it is so visibly dangerous that when I see that happen, I'm like, oh, well, no wonder Jesus just says, I'm going to drop it all. And I don't want it. And you know what? What's really neat is that Jesus points a way forward where you don't have to gain power over others. You don't have to gain wealth for us to continue to move what he sees as like the work of the Holy Spirit, like this arc towards justice and love in the world. Like that's the revolutionary thing is the way that Jesus thinks the world will be saved and will be good and will be made right doesn't even require power or wealth at all. So maybe that's why we can drop those ropes from the get-go. But man, is that hard to do in a very dangerous world. Please um, continue to listen and stick with me on this. If you disagree with me on this because I got a little bit political or whatever, get in touch with me. Set, set me right. I need you.
<laughs> so um, take care, everyone. Thanks for coming into the kitchen. I'm going to finish these dishes and then head on out and get lunch. I'll see you guys later. Hi, everyone. I just want to say a quick thank you to you for listening to this episode of Lo-Fi Lectionary. If you liked the podcast, please help us out. You can review, subscribe, and share the podcast any way you can. Um, the more people we get in on the game, the funner this is going to be. Uh, if you want to participate in the discussion for this episode, you can come visit our website at kevinlester.net and follow the links to the podcast and then to the link for this episode. Um, you can also find our podcast on Facebook and we can discuss and, and keep things going on there. Uh, just search Facebook for Lo-Fi Lectionary and you'll find us. You can also get in touch with me, Kevin, directly at lofi at kevinlester.net. And that's lofi with no dash. So L-O-F-I at kevinlester.net. And you can also find me on Twitter at lofi kevin with no dash again. So at lofi kevin. Um, that's kind of it. So thank you for coming and we'll see you guys next episode. Thank you for listening.